On this episode of the Vegan Chub Club podcast, we have big news. If you love the Vegan Chub Club and want to see it grow, share it with your chubby vegan friends. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and reviews help us out so much. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Vegan Chub Club podcast. My name is Eden, and I'm joined by a very special guest. Hi, my name is Miranda. I'm so excited to be here. A lot of you guys know and have seen Miranda on the Vegan Chub Club account over, I guess, the past year. Um, Miranda did our Burger King Impossible Whopper review, which is saved in our highlights. And we have pictures with her from Eat, Drink, Vegan. She has a very successful blog, The Uprooted Foodie, and we're really excited, if you haven't seen our stories, that she's going to be joining us on Vegan Chub Club. Yay! Yeah, thank you. I've been a Chub Club fan from day one, and before we jump into too much, I just wanted to say, like, my hat's off to Joelle for running the mic for the first few seasons with you, Eden. And I'm sure it was a wild ride to get everything started and in the zone of a totally new podcast. But Joelle, if you're listening, you rock. And I can't wait to continue Chub Club Convos with you in the community. And there's some pretty big shoes to fill. But uh, I'm just super stoked to be here. And Eden, you're just a total boss. (laughs) Thank you. I try. I've had a lot more time to try to boss lately since we are all safe in the house. But um, it was a struggle for a good while to keep everything running. So pardon our break, (laughs) but we are back. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy all of the content that Miranda is going to have coming for you all. It's very exciting. Yeah, I'm just really grateful that um, the Vegan Chub Club is continuing. And it's just a good opportunity for more people to jump on and run into a new season and especially like you're saying right now with kind of everything that has taken a sharp turn. So yeah, and I think that was Joel and I's intention from the beginning, we had kind of gotten to a point where it's like, as two people, we felt like we had said everything that we could say. But as a community, there's so much that everyone has to say. And everyone has a unique story. And I think that's what all of us need is to hear more from other people in our chubby vegan community. So I'm really excited to see where this new chapter takes us. But for people that don't know a lot about you, why don't you tell us about like your vegan story, your life as someone that is on the chubbier side, um, your activism, your Um, work with helping restaurants come up with vegan options, you're traveling, just lay it all out there so everyone can get to know you. (laughs) That's a tall order. But yeah, let me tell you as much as I can. So again, I'm Miranda, I run a brand and business called Uprooted Foodie. Uh, So I focus on traveling and veganism. It's a multifaceted platform. So I've incorporated a blog, a YouTube channel, Uh, my consulting services kind of all in one place. And my vegan story, uh, I think I'm going on 14 
years vegan. Wow. It might be 13, I might be wrong, but it's, it's, you know, past the decade mark. It's unbelievable um, how long that's been going on. But my story started out, I was in community college. I was in a summer French class with a friend of mine from high school, more of an acquaintance really, but we became friends. Her name was Aubrey and she was vegan for like six or seven years at the time just because she grew up in a vegan household with her family. And so she didn't really tell a lot of people and nobody really knew what it was. This was like 2007, 2008, 2007. And yeah, she was just uh, telling me all about it one day in French class. And I had no idea what was going on in the animal agriculture industries or slaughterhouses, or how any of it worked. I mean, I grew up in Illinois in a rural, like, cornfield area. So, I mean, it was happening all around me, and I had no idea. And when I finally learned this, I had just kind of said to myself, well, I never really liked meat anyway. I guess I could try to just cut it out and see how it goes. And so I went, like, overnight, just said I'm not jumping to vegetarian I'm going straight to vegan like we'll see how this goes and I was so I was so all into it for like three months and then I had a few slip-ups of course like my grandma's sugar cookies at Christmas got me and I felt horrible because I you know it was offensive that I wouldn't you know try things once in a while and and I was like oh well I don't want to offend anyone but I ended up you know being able to curb that pretty quick and staying on the on the straight and narrow vegan path as best as I could. <laughs> but I've definitely, definitely been um, what I'm calling, yeah, full-time vegan for like, I think it's 13 years now. Yeah. Wow. Not that it's a competition, but Joelle, someone's beat you. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you know, Joelle's been vegan over a decade. I've been vegan this year. It would be seven years. Yes. Yeah, it's a very long time. It is a long time and a lot changes with yourself and with who's around you and with the world. It's it's a wild ride. And I mean, of course, like we're proud to be a part of it, you know, because it's just it's an achievement, like doing it for any significant amount of time, whether it's a month or a year or a decade is a significant achievement. I even applaud people for like the weekends or vegan at home or yeah you know it's it all has value to it 100% and like you know just a meatless day every week and you know you can do that on accident and just look back and be like oh I didn't eat any meat today that's awesome I lived with my parents for a while after school and we had watched something I think it was it had to have been forks over knives or either vegetated. And there was something that happened on one of the cow scenes. And my parents, they, my mom's basically pescatarian. I was pretty much raised pescatarian. I was vegetarian and pescatarian on and off growing up. And, but my mom and dad now, they only buy almond milk. They don't buy cow's milk at all. And some people might look at that and be like, well, they still eat meat. But I'm like, well, the amount of dairy that they've reduced over the seven plus years since we watched those documentaries, like, 
that's made a big impact if you think about two gallon, a gallon to two gallons of milk per week mm. over seven years. Oh yeah, that's huge. I mean, and not to mention the milk alone, but just like how many, yeah, how much less demand there was mm-hmm. for that those poor dairy cows to just be sent to a butcher house. Exactly. And for people that are non-vegan, like my mom and my dad, like that will never be vegan. And I know people are like, never say never. I know these people. (laughs) They will (laughs) never be vegan. But for those people to go out and tell people, oh, I saw this thing about cows and you shouldn't drink dairy milk. You're not like my mom and dad will say things like we're not baby cows or whatever. Um, and I, they still eat cheese, so it's not that they're not having dairy at all. But for them to go out and say that as non-vegans to other people, that can influence people as well. So it's all like a ripple effect of small change that happens. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's important. It's the little things that really add up. And I think we're seeing that now more than ever. Oh, yeah. Um. So I guess... Since this is the Vegan Chip Club podcast and you talked about your vegan story, maybe you can tell our audience more about the plus size end of things. The plus size end of things, your body, your body story, how you feel about the body diversity within the vegan movement, what kind of change you'd like to see. Well, tying it back into my original going vegan story, um, when I first went vegan, like, I noticed what was happening within my body first. I felt cleaner. I felt more energized and I felt just like more clear headed. And like that carried over into just being more energetic. And I think I was 19 at the time. So I was just like running around a little more and I actually lost weight going vegan. And that was with a lot more whole food diet going on because there wasn't a lot of these like fad items and stuff like that that are exciting nowadays that are really good substitutes. But at the time I was losing weight and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. This is awesome. What a perk. And then the longer I was vegan and the more that the world changed and the more that my lifestyle changed, I started working more from home and behind the computer more often and stuff. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, I just got thicker. And I've always been a little bit curvy, uh, but I just, yeah, I've had lots of like fluctuation in my life just based on what I've done. So like I was in an AmeriCorps program, which if you don't know what AmeriCorps is, people will call it like the Peace Corps of America. It was like volunteering on public lands, going hiking, leading groups to go out and like clean up trails and build trails. So I was very active at that time. Um, And I would like, I went down in weight when I did that. And then afterwards I kind of gained weight back and I just was like, well, this is kind of where my body wants to be, that's fine. And then I went to school totally like, 180, but like went to school for musical theater and in New York and then was dancing all the time. And just like, it's, it's a thing where you're like constantly eating, but you're moving so much too, that you're not keeping up with what needs, like what's burning off is like just burning faster than you can consume almost. Um, Mm -hmm. so those were just two times in my life where I was just like eating, 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 but losing weight. And it was just because I was super active. And But I think when I'm not doing those kind of like hardcore intense programs, like I 
sit at a much thicker level and I'm very gentle with myself about that and I've never like over-exercised or anything like based like you would think maybe I would I could turn to that if I wasn't careful like but I I mean I, I guess I'm just fortunate enough to feel secure no matter where I'm at physically because I just really focus on trying to be positive and having a good personality and just being a a people person who looks outward more than like at myself, I guess. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, with viewing myself, like, I mean, it's not to say I haven't had issues with where I've been at in my body. Like, there will always be things that I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this today. And I mean, it's kind of like Joelle says, like, as being a a body positive vegan, um, where just because you're body positive most of the time doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have bad days or off days yourself. Yeah. I feel like for the most part, I'm pretty body positive about myself. And I think it's important to move your body but like mm-hmm. tying it into the this whole COVID-19 situation, these memes going around joking about gaining the quarantine 19 or the quarantine 15 and talking about like, oh, I haven't, uh, what is that one? It's like, I'm not used to being this ugly all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like sitting here like trying to look at it lightheartedly because that's just kind of where the shallow minded areas go uh for these things but like trying to be lighthearted like well I've had quarantine 19 well before it was hyped up and I look this ugly all the time because <laughs> I sit at <laughs> home all the time but I mean like I I just think it's kind of a it's an unfortunate waste of breath and like a, it's really triggering for some people and people with eating disorders people who don't feel positive in their own body image or people who are super judgmental of their own or others body images and it's just and I'm seeing a lot of older people doing it more so than I'm not really seeing any, like, too many millennials and too many Gen Zers doing it. It's a lot of the older crowd, and I think that, I hope that that's dying out, is what I'm saying. (laughs) I hope so, too. Um, I've seen some fitness pages post it, like the Barbie, the traditional Barbie is the before, and then the after quarantine, the chubby Barbie, like, it's all silly. I can take a joke. I can take things with a grain of salt, but it's also, like, can you be more creative? Like (laughs) it's not even original at this point. It's old rhetoric. Can we get over this type of thing? Um, it was really cool to hear about your body image story, um, about being body positive. I had no idea that you were in musical theater. I also was, I went to performing arts magnet school. Um, and I had a very similar type of thing. I've always been thicker. I was a competitive cheerleader all through high school. Well, since middle school, I started cheering when I was five years old. And I was always thicker. And I, like you said, eat a lot of food. I feel like it's not even a lot of food. It's just the amount of food you need to fuel yourself for that amount of activity. Exactly. And I would stay at a certain weight and then my, I feel like my food patterns always kind of follow 
whatever my body's doing. So when I was less active working out maybe an hour a couple times a week, my calorie intake went down because I wasn't as starving all the time because it wasn't moving so much. But my body just gets bigger. And I think that's I think that was really cool that you said that because I think a lot of people probably experience that. And um, the whole diet culture and like fitness gurus will all tell you that it's calories in versus calories out. But I was listening to this interview um, with, I think it was Dr. Mike, and he was talking about stop saying calories in versus calories out. Because yes, that works for 80% of people, but there's a good 20% of people that will always have to try 90 times harder than you to lose weight or keep weight off. It's not just calories in versus calories out for them. Their intensity of their workouts has to be so much harder. And we have to understand that that's not the quality of life that everyone wants to have to eat 100% clean all the time, work out 90% harder than the average person just to be what everyone views as like normal. Yeah. Yeah, and people refuse to acknowledge that it's just different for some people, that not all bodies are the same. Um, and I thought it was super cool that he said that because so many people like just want to stay on the bandwagon <laughs> of yeah. calories in versus calories out. But he's like, stop saying that. It's just not true. Um, but yeah, some bodies yeah. just fluctuate, and that's fine. And um, Joel and I have talked about it in the past. Like, if you want to lose weight, go for it, but make sure that you're not doing anything dangerous. Like I'm the queen of over-exercising and I love that you said that you haven't had to struggle with that because it's, it's terrible. I, I had a roommate who did in college and I just, I think just hearing about it early on, I was like, wow, that sounds like a really big struggle. Like, cause it, it was paired with an eating disorder for her. And I don't know, you know, how that goes for everyone, but I just, it was just it was a little sad for me to hear about so that's the only reason I was like okay note don't ever try to over exercise but you know not everybody gets to like think about it before it happens some people it just happens I'm sure yeah and that's how it was for me it just happened and honestly I had lost about 80 pounds just from like normal calories in calories out moving my body more when I was pescatarian but my body is just a little bit different with certain foods so once I went vegan it started getting harder for the weight to come off so that's when I started over exercising and it wasn't obviously not because of veganism or anything it was just because you get addicted to that result of weight loss mm -hmm. um so I don't ever categorize it as an eating disorder. Some people would, but I think that I might still be in recovery if it were. But um, I was trying to burn off more or double the calories that I ate in a day. Which can be so exhausting, I imagine, just like yes. counting all the time. Counting, and it's counting, such counting. like this mind F, you know? And it's terrible. So, like, I, I do come from a history of over-exercising, and it's just, like, that stuff isn't necessary. Like, if you're doing things that make you feel good, fueling your body and moving, it all needs to come from a place of, like, health and feeling healthy. And if you're doing things like over-exercising, it's no longer healthy. Even if you're losing weight, it's no longer healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, that kind of brings me to this... There was this um, 
post that, and I am not suggesting we go to Facebook for our information, but a, <laughs> a friend of mine had a psychologist comment on the mental health tips that they have for this whole situation that we're in. Um, so accepting everything about yourself, your current situation, and your life without question, blame, or pushback. There's no failing at this, there's no roadmap for it, no precedent, and we're all truly doing the best we can. I think that applies to, you know, being healthy too. Like, it's, it's just, I guess what I'm saying is like, having radical self-acceptance isn't widely known or widely suggested for for a lot of us like i i had heard this phrase like a couple times but i feel like if we all practiced radical self-acceptance where we just like completely loved ourselves and just were okay and accepting about every situation we're in we wouldn't maybe strive for those moments of like oh i'm not reaching my potential i'm not reaching either my goal weight or i'm not reaching my calorie you know outtake or i'm not reaching i'm just not reaching my work goals or i'm not reaching this 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 yeah absolutely i think that that's really beautiful and i think that that's a lot of that's something that a lot of people need to hear and like be reminded of like you said you've heard it a couple of times but like once you actually sit down and think about it and dive into it and all of the different avenues of life that it can relate to it could really change the way that you operate in the way that you think yeah definitely and and I don't know I don't know if in some ways I've practiced it subconsciously but I think something like that just kind of resonates with me on like why I've been okay with feeling how I feel in my bigger body like I am not near the size I was in high school but I'm also not waking up at 7 a.m for a gym class every day to run the mile or whatever and that's just not what life is so like how do you know what your body's natural you know space is when you do daily tasks yeah and you're also not a child like i I just find it so weird when people are like, I need to get high school skinny. And it's like, you are an adolescent. (laughs) You do not need to be the same size as you were when you were a child. Like, uh, that's just so true. It's so weird. And exactly. I think that was one thing that I was trying to touch on when I went on that tangent about over exercising. Like my, the reason I turned to over exercising is because like, I didn't even think about it consciously at the time. But it was like I did two a day practices for cheerleading and then I had musical theater in the afternoon. That was like three hours of working out per day. So when I looked back and was like, oh, my body felt good or like I like the way I looked here. It's like, dude, you're working out three hours a day. And yes, I did start doing that as an adult, but that's never necessary. Like when you're a kid, you have the stamina to do that. But as an adult, there's no reason you need to be working out three hours a day. It's true. And like when I was, (laughs) 
oh, I feel that because in when I was in my conservatory school in New York, it was the same thing. It was like, first of all, you're running through the streets of New York to get to class from your dorm because you don't have money for, you know, taxis in the subway all the time. So you're doing the New York hustle, literally, you know, hitting the pavement. And then you're, then you're in ballet class, then you're in, you know, theater dance, and then you run over and you have voice lessons and you're moving, you know, you're still exercising when you're singing, you know that. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just constant. And, and it's not normal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So let's not normalize that by looking at, you know, gurus on the internet that that's their job. I highly doubt they would be doing that if it weren't like to make content constantly. And just because people look happy doesn't mean that that's the case. We don't know how their bodies are feeling after that much activity. Like we don't know everything. So I just try to stay inside of my own body when it comes to health and wellness and just like focus on my own temple and not what anyone else is doing. Yeah, exactly. And you have to keep in mind, like keep in mind a healthy perspective too of like, a, you're already vegan. B, like, just do your part t- to get in some whole foods as best as you can into your body to take care of it. And, like, if you do those things, you know, without pre-existing conditions and all these other things, like, you're most likely reasonably healthy, even if you're plus size. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's something that I absolutely have to talk about. Um, and we'll let Miranda get in more Miranda time if she needs to at the end. But it starts a little something like this. Hey, you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin. And this is from Tiger King, the most talked about show over quarantine. You can't follow anyone on the Internet without hearing about Tiger King these days. Do you feel like that's true? Me? Yes. I feel like (laughs) I was just so like soothed by your voice. I was like, wow, she sounds so professional. (laughs) That's how Carol Baskin sounds. She works very closely with PETA and um, some friends that I have that work for for PETA have actually like talked to me about like I was asking them about Tiger King and they were saying like, we've been trying to get this dude in jail for years. Like, so it's like serious beyond the Netflix documentary, like animal rights people have been trying to get all of these people indicted for years. It's unreal. Uh, And I, I read something about they're actually, I'm in Denver at the moment and they're not, these animals are um, not far from Denver, supposedly. Um, So it's just interesting to see how this is affecting everyone. And I don't really, I don't know that I enjoy it. I I can't can't get into it. I don't like into it, like enjoying it. And I don't, I don't plan on watching it, but I know you have, right? I have. And you're right. Some of them are close to Denver. And then um, one of the zoos they were calling it was in Oklahoma, but they moved it closer to the Texas, Oklahoma border. So one of them is closer to my side of the world. And then the big cat rescue is in Florida. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, as much as I want to enjoy the memes and everything, the only thing I saw the whole time was like, these giant 
like beautiful creatures in cages that are way too small. I mean, yes, some of them had enclosures that were, you know, big enough that if I ran from one side to the other, I'd be a little bit tired, but that's nothing for a tiger, you know, or a snow leopard or the fact that like some of these snow leopards have been bred in a way that they no longer need to be in the cold. And it's just like, what are we doing? Why do we need to own tigers? And there are some spoilers in here, guys. So if you haven't seen it, then come back to this or skip forward a couple (laughs) of minutes. But like there was this part where um, the main, I guess he's not a character. He's an actual person. And that's, what's so troubling about it, that these are actual people that you could like encounter on a daily basis right that it's are a documentary, doing right? exactly and I want I keep wanting to say character but it's not a movie like it's real and he had gone into a cage with a couple of big cats there were three tigers and one of the cats became very interested in his shoes um, and he said that he thought someone had put something on his shoes to like sabotage him so this is kind of a hard thing to talk about. And once I explain it, I guess you can, you'll understand and you'll be able to give your input. But so a cat becomes very interested in his shoes. And then at one point it grabs him and it drags him a bit. So he's hitting it with his crutch because he has a crutch. He's hitting the tiger with his crutch. And then he starts to shoot at it um, with his gun. Cause during the whole show, he's like blowing things up on his farm and shooting. And I'm like, how traumatic is that for the animals? One to like hear explosions all the time. But anyway, back to the cage, he's shooting at this tiger. And then he starts to exit the enclosure and was like, and nobody even helped me. And one, okay. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, you don't want this guy to die. You don't ever want a person to die. But also, I never want a tiger to be shot at because it's doing what tigers do. You shouldn't be in an enclosure with tigers. You shouldn't be breeding tigers. So it's not the tiger's fault, but also obviously we don't want to see this man die on camera being eaten by a tiger, but it's like, why did you breed these animals? Why did you put them in this situation where they are now being shot at by you? You don't get to play God like that and then think that it won't you know, be a bad idea. I mean, yeah. And it's it's, it's so crazy to me. Like there's one point in the show where an employee's arm gets bitten off, which this is a whole different issue with the documentary throughout the show. This person was called she the whole time. And then post documentary, I had saw some commentary saying that, this person was misgendered the whole documentary and it, this is a trans male, not a female as they referred during the whole documentary. So like that's an issue with it as well. And then this trans male did have his arm bitten off and the main character, he's not a character. I don't know. I keep calling him a character. He's just like, so do you guys want a refund or discounts to come back another day? Like, as this person just had their arm taken off by a big cat, you know? That's appalling. And it's just, at the end, like, after the farm, the farm, not the farm, the zoo went through a bunch of different changes, and the, you know, federal wildlife 
ended up going in. I know that's not the right term, but they ended up going in and finding lots of cats buried that had been shot and stuff. And he was saying that he euthanized them because they were sick cats. And it's like, well, if they were sick cats, why didn't you get them veterinary care? Is it because you're doing something illegal by breeding them? Or did you shoot them like you shot the one that tried to attack you in a cage? Like, how can we trust anything you've said after we watched you shoot at an animal while you were in their enclosure? Like, it's just like all of this stuff. And I don't – I got kind of like overwhelmed because how I don't I didn't find it entertaining and the only thing that I'm hearing on the internet is how entertaining and how funny and all the memes and like all of this stuff I just saw so much animal cruelty and like at the end he said something that was very subtle and that I don't think a lot of people really caught because it wasn't like this dramatic aha movement he just said so I just let my two chimpanzees be together after 20 years and I put them in the cage and they hugged each other and I thought did I deprive them of that their entire life I don't know I was just trying to run a zoo and it was just like so sad to me because they showed the footage of these two chimpanzees walking up to each other and just like embracing. And he said, I'd had them in cages next to each other for years and never even thought about what they wanted. And it was just like, wow, that's heartbreaking. That's really heartbreaking. And I just, (laughs) I know a lot of people are like, Oh, I just couldn't stop watching. And I understand that part of it. Cause it is like, a murder mystery type of feeling to it. So in that way, it is very engaging. And I'm not going to say that that isn't true, but I just felt like very hurt by it. <laughs> like yeah. in the end, I was like, oh, in the amount of predatory behavior, like Joe, both of his husbands came to his zoo when they were very young um another person his name was doc he had more animals like elephants and things like that and all his all of his wives he had multiple wives came um as apprentice when they were around 17 18 and then they stay on his land and after they are no longer apprentice they're allowed to get breast implants and he pays for them. And then they get their own houses and then they work there with the tigers and a lot of them become his wives. And I was like, these were children. And then he like grooms them and gets them breast implants to his liking and gives them a house. And then there was a girl that decided to leave his property and talked about how it wasn't really an option that you got breast implants. They basically made the appointment for you before you became like the upper level trainer slash wife. You were like basically sleeping in like squalor. And it was just like all very predatory and disgusting the way that these men like lured in young girls and young men with tigers and meth. It was like, what's happening? Like, am I the only one that's looking at this? Like, what the fuck? You, you can't be the only one. And, <laughs> and, and just hearing you like recount it for me is just like, it's so unreal. And isn't this similar? This, this is similar though, to maybe understand why it's so popular. I mean, first, first of all, it's being 
marketed like crazy. I watched My Girl on Netflix the other day and Tiger King popped up as the next thing I should watch. I was like, literally, what the fuck? Why would I want to watch that after My Girl? That is not at all in the same genre. That is not meant for me. You are all pushing this and why? To get our minds off of things or to, to promote some horrible guy and like this whole situation. But also, didn't you and Jessica on your other podcast discuss kind of reality tv and like yeah, or what is it like pound life and um the plus size dating show you guys were talking about that uh in a, in a, in some fashion as far as like people just want to m- watch a spectacle or what seems to be a spectacle and people aren't taking into account all these other various things going on that are just horrendous like how how people are treated on my 600 pound life for example but just how horrible these people are in tiger king or how how horrible these practices are in tiger king like i just i'm appalled that this has been pushed so much and i just really can't understand why um and i'm also appalled that i'm not seeing hardly any vegan influencers or platforms talking about how bad it is i mean i'm either seeing people just not really regarding it at all or i'm seeing a couple of huge influencers who happen to be vegan they don't focus on being vegan but they are vegan they're they're joking around and dressing up as it and sharing memes about it and they're not i don't even know if they've seen it or if they're just jumping on the bandwagon i'm just like how can you even think about sharing that and joking in that when you don't partake in those things with your lifestyle and your and your ethics like how would you ever support that and how many people are watching you right now yeah and i'm hesitant to even like call out vegan influencers just people in general because i've seen people that are not vegan be very against the circus per se or I have my uh, one of my bosses she's pescatarian and she hates the rodeo so there are people that eat animals that are also against like the exploitation of animals for entertainment or you know people that are against eating land animals there you could be vegetarian pescatarian whatever and still like partake in some kind of animal cruelty, but still have very strong feelings about things like this. So I'm just surprised that there aren't more people that are like, that signed the petition to make sure that Barnum and Bailey couldn't come to their city that aren't saying something about this, you know, mm-hmm. that's a valid that, point too. That's why I'm just so surprised. Cause I think it's very common of non-vegans to be very appalled when exotic animals are exploited um, cause there's like the separation, there's like dogs and cats and fit, well, dogs and cats and people love dogs and cats. Then there are animals that are for food and they really, that's kind of blinders on that. And then there are beautiful exotic animals and then we love them. We're appalled if anything happens to them. So mm-hmm. I'm just really surprised <laughs> that I'm not seeing that reaction from people that love and admire these big animals and love to go on safari tours and see these animals in their natural habitat that they're not more outspoken like they would be about the circus or something. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of something kind of related to this, um, have you seen Preppers on Netflix? 
No, but since I've watched Tiger King, I think that that must be a recommended because I've seen it pop up a lot of times. So yeah, I when I was searching on Netflix, I had seen it before all of this current situation happening, but I also was curious about it like now and I was like you know jokingly maybe this will be a good way to learn how to like prepare for any kind of apocalypse and I I thought it would be people who are like living underground in bunkers with canned corn and canned pickles and like just living very quietly I thought that's what it was gonna be about nope it's about more people with guns, lots of land, several vehicles with several hundreds of pounds of food that are stored in them ready to leave at any moment and like plans with their neighborhood on like how to, uh, you know, hold off intruders when the world ends and like all this stuff, all these different scenarios people are worried about and fixated on and how they have prepared for it. And then they're judged on like levels and scales of like how to be prepared and like how best to prepared and they're just like judged on it but it's it's wild i i think it's a little less intense than tiger king but there was one or two episodes i literally had to just stop watching and i haven't watched it since but because this guy is like trying to get his wife to learn to kill their livestock and he's like we'd all be vegetarians tomorrow if we couldn't do it and i'm like maybe that's not a bad thing and Come on, like getting your wife traumatized for the sheer fact of like, maybe there's going to be an apocalypse. Like, so you need to traumatize her by learning, having her learn how to kill your farm animals. Like, wow. Ugh, all of it just makes me so like, have we not learned by now? <laughs> One of my good friends, her twin owns, um, they are certified as a sustainable farm um, here in Texas. You can get grants and things like that if you're so-called sustainable versus a factory farm. And she has livestock and she has pigs and she feeds them pecans and yogurts and she posts about it online. And it's so cute to watch them. But then I think, oh, man, they're going to be slaughtered. Like they're the cutest pigs you've ever seen in your whole life. The really furry ones, you know. And underneath it'll say like, pasture raised poor and for the longest time I think she still is Carolyn names them and I'm like how do you name them and then have to slaughter them because they they're a small tiny farm you know they're not like a big production so most things are done in-house like they have a small thing for bees they make some honey they have grass-fed cows, um, pasture-raised eggs, and then, and I see that they treat their animals very well. Like, there was a storm, and they brought all of the baby calves into their mud room and bottle-fed them, and, like, I see that the animals are treated very well. It's just so hard for me to, like, I don't know that I'd be able to separate it in order to realize, like, this is my income, and I still have to slaughter these animals, and take them to the farmer's market or the places, the few grocery stores that I am in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I genuinely don't know what that's How like. you do that? I don't know. Maybe it's just a switch some people can turn off and It's like once you it. name an animal, you know, it's just so different. I agree with and that. And like feeding them from a bottle and giving them belly rubs and like 
those animals, it seems like they're living the life, but then you realize that their fate's still the same. Does it matter? Like, mm-hmm. yes, how they're treated matters, but does it matter if the end result's still the same? It's hard, right? Like, yes, it matters how they're treated, but in the end, they're still ending up the same place. I don't know. And and I honestly, I've been so far removed from a lot of the the more recent documentaries that talk about slaughterhouses. And I know it's I know it's important. Like I try to push myself uh, as a vegan, like to 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 stay up to date on kind of like okay, what are, what are the practices now? And like, how is the world looking with all of this now? And I mean, I stay away from a lot of those documentaries just because I'm still, I'm still passionate about it. Either way, I just, I'm going to be more sad if I watch the documentary and learn about it. But it's, it's really important to know and it's really important to to know what you can handle and what your limits are on your own education of these things but it it also just yeah it's it's just so hard yeah and this is a personal friend of mine you know so and then I think like my mom and dad are always going to eat land animals are my mom's mostly pescatarian but she does have some like a steak or something from time to time and I'm like would I rather her get a steak from my friend when I know that they up until the time they were slaughtered were treated really well or should she just go to the grocery store because both animals are dead like does it matter how well they're treating where you go or who you support to get those products I don't know yeah I think that question that popped into my head (laughs) Yeah. And that boils down to, yeah, do you want to support your friend if you have to support that industry at all? Or do you not want to send that message to someone you're close to and encourage them to keep doing that? But again, you know, a business is a business and it's hard and to people are by. people like my parents. They're older, like they're I mean, there are 80 year olds that decide to go vegetarian or pescatarian or vegan or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but and my mom, like I said, she's mostly pescatarian, but like on her birthday or every once in a while, she, she'll have a steak or whatever it is. But it's like if the people are going to do it anyhow, do you tell them about an option that's – I don't even want to say an option that's better because the end result's still the same. Right. You know? Right. I guess that's what my whole question is. It's like do you tell them about this thing, well, like these animals were treated better? And maybe that will make them feel better. And maybe like, just like in the yeah. in the karmatic scheme of things, sure. maybe that's do better. Say, do you say these animals these animals were cuddled uh, from time to time and raised like little pets? But in the end, uh, yeah, their their cortisol spiked before they were slaughtered. So I don't know if it matters. Like I don't know, and <laughs> I don't think it's wrong though. Like however you feel about it, because it's just so tricky. And it's yeah. Just, And I don't really know how I feel. I just think it's interesting because I have seen a lot of the conversations start to shift, especially with the pandemic. Like this is, you know, the earth is improving. There's more deer roaming. It's greener here. The emissions levels have dropped. This is why we need to stop doing factory farming, only eat grass-fed, pasture-raised is kind of where it's switching. So that's why I guess with our current climate, I started thinking about like, 
the grass-fed, pasture-raised stuff. But it's like if people are eating the same amount of grass-fed, pasture-raised, then it's really not changing anything. Like my friend's farm is a certified sustainable farm through the state of Texas, and it's different than a factory farm. But if their demand got to the amount where people stopped eating factory farm animals, wouldn't it just be the same thing? Right. Right. She would have to increase her herd and like she wouldn't be able to give the individual attention to animals or buy the high quality feed or feed the pigs yogurt and pecans and flowers or whatever she's feeding them on Instagram <laughs> that day with little yogurt. If you've never seen yogurt all over a pig's mouth, you haven't lived. It's so cute. <laughs> it's, it's literally so cute. <laughs> but it's oh like what, if the demand raised for grass-fed farmers, they have to eventually start cutting corners, and then it just ends up at factory farming again. So, Yep, and then, you know, the demand changes. It just changes from, okay, now we're overselling and overproducing soybeans and corn to now uh, we're all out of yogurt because the pigs are eating it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, like, being slightly facetious about that. but Yeah, true, but like also, those- like, yeah, we have to more cows for more dairy for more yogurt to feed the yes. animals that we're going to slaughter as well as the people. Right, not even vegan yogurt, but milk yogurt, yeah. In order for anything to change, the answer would be for people to be mostly vegetarian. Yeah, and, you know... Pescatarian, mostly vegetarian, I mean... I think it's naive to think everyone would be vegan, but I think that most people can thrive on a mostly vegetarian, pescatarian, meat on the weekend type of thing that would reduce how much we use drastically, where everyone maybe could eat grass-fed pasture-raised if they were just having it one meal a day. Right. Would that be enough for those farms to sustain business, though? And would that be worth it, too? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it would make grants available for more sustainable farmers, because even though we don't want, you know, cattle and pigs to be slaughtered, farming is a big part of American history. It's a big part of our economy. And yes, some farmers can grow vegetables, but people are always going to consume animals, I think. I saw a really good meme. Maybe you've seen it, but it's this picture of a grandma during the Great Depression era standing outside of a small house in a garden. And it says something like, grandma knew how to survive the Great Depression because she didn't hoard and she knew how to make food out of plants or something like that and I was just like yeah go grandma like it's true like those things are going to last a lot longer in times like this and I mean yeah we could probably have a whole nother episode about how everything's going and and the meat industries around this whole situation but obviously we all know what's going on and it's kind of been nice to talk about some other things and get get hyped on it yeah um, and we should all be more like grandma's (laughs) my grandma has an eight foot greenhouse like it's eight feet tall and quite large she's gardened since I was little I used to come to Texas and she'd have watermelons and she'd grow sunflowers and then dry out the seeds and roast them and she's always had lots of jalapenos cucumbers zucchini like she has a really great green thumb 
And my papa, he was just out fishing. And we know how vegan people feel about fishing. But just thinking that their whole meals that they had when I was talking to them, I guess it was last week because my grandma had messaged me about sending me some soap that she didn't like. I'm like, okay, thanks, grandma. But um, <laughs> that their whole meal was my papa caught the fish and she had grown the vegetables. Mm. Like it was just all a meal that they provided. I'm using air quotes for themselves right. because, you know, to fish you need tools and you have this advantage over an aquatic animal. But it was just yeah. – food that they made for themselves yeah, because they're older and and they didn't want to go to the stores. And my grandma has a lot of vegetables. She freezes a ton of greens. She grows a lot of greens and yeah, that's, that's epic. And I think that's the direction we're going into is sustainability, self sustainability, um, while in self-isolation, you know, and, and people are going back to making, obviously people are going back. I mean, in my opinion, it was a little quick to run right back to baking bread after one or two weeks in quarantine. Like, I was just like, are we that desperate already? Did like, Who eats that much sudden- bread? <laughs> <laughs> that, that too. Yeah. How many sandwiches do you need? And- I know. Yeah, but but it is cool at the same time to see people being like, oh yeah, I want to make bread, I want to make tortillas, I want to, I want to start making things from scratch. Like I use less butter, I'm using more like steaming and water, and like just like being resourceful is refreshing to see. And honestly, that's how a lot of vegans kind of just were. I feel like ten years ago. Yeah, years and like ago. all the pantry meals that I've been seeing people make. Like when I went to the stores, all of the meat was wiped like clear basically and it just like it wasn't a big deal for me because like all of the fresh food was still there. Like there was still mm-hmm. plenty of regular yogurt, plant based yogurt, their eggs were gone. Um there there wasn't a lot of like all of the almond milk was pretty much gone, which was like, I need that. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I was able to find the shelf stable one. Cause I think people kind of forgot that that yeah. was there, but yeah, it was just interesting to see what people ran to initially and like to see yeah. that my life is different than that. So like so the foods okay. that I eat was <laughs> I was fine. I mean, it was kind of annoying not to be able to find any canned beans. I mean, I can't eat a ton of canned beans at a time anyhow because I have some digestive issues. But, yeah, like that, all of the canned goods were gone. I was like, ah, where are the beans? Where are the chickpeas? But right. <laughs> those are the, really the only times I had to worry. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've heard this and some other people listening have heard this too. Like, look to the – look to the – um, the ethnic markets or delis and get the get the dried beans in the bags for like two pounds or three pounds. Even the dollar store has like dried black yeah. beans and stuff like that and pasta. Hell yeah, that's awesome. And and they're also those places hopefully are a little less crowded. But honestly, I haven't been to the grocery store in almost four weeks, like, because I've been taking advantage of, like, local grocery delivery, like, not grocery delivery, but, like, um, produce delivery, I guess. At least in Denver, a lot of the farmers and the producers for these farmers that sell it, like, they're not able to get as much into the grocery stores, um, because, 
I don't know the exact reasons, but again, like produce may not be selling as fast as anything else, and they have to start keeping up with what is needing to be restocked rather than the things that are sitting there and having excess of that. So these farms are running out of you know, places to give mass quantities to. So they're starting to donate. They're letting people buy a, don- a box to donate to families in need. And they're they're letting you pick up or, like with curbside and like six foot distance, or they're letting you, um, if if you're lucky enough to squeeze in before they get too busy, getting it delivered to your house. And so we signed up for that and have had some produce every Friday and like that's that's a privilege. I know that's a privilege. Like to be able to squeeze in and pay the extra $5 for delivery and have the resources to look those things up, but you know, it, it it's also a really crazy time and you got to look out for yourself. So I mean, share your resources with other people like whether that's like financial or like buying a donation box for someone or sharing everything information-wise that you can. Like I I put out a blog for Denver that was like here's everywhere you can get vegan-friendly takeout, curbside and delivery. Here's local grocers who you can pick up or get delivered from. Here's small businesses you can order directly from online and things like that. And it's just Whatever you can share with people, I think, is just so helpful right now because people do not need to go to the grocery store once a week. I feel like right now it's too dangerous. Too many people are touching everything or sneezing or setting things back on the shelves that they've touched. And and there's just no way to know. And like if you just stay in your home, you greatly, greatly minimize the risk of coming in contact with other people. So that's my two cents on that. No, thank you for sharing that, because I think a lot of people forget about like local farms. Um, Like here in Austin, we have farmhouse delivery. Make sure that you check out Miranda's blog. We have Imperfect Produce and we have this thing called a CSA box that's by Johnson's Backyard Garden. And I know this is, you know, it applies only to Austin and Denver, but there are places in your area that probably have these services available to you. And you're getting really high quality stuff as well. And like Miranda said, she put together a list of vegan restaurants. You guys, small businesses are getting really hit right now. And I know, like we said, we know it's a privilege to be able to even go out to eat right now or pick up curbside. But um, because a lot of people have been furloughed and laid off, but if you have the funds to spread, um, try to look out for your small businesses in your community because um, Jessica and I were talking about this in our podcast uh, yesterday, but she was talking to her friends about all the things they wanted to do when this was over. But if we don't support these small businesses, they're not going to be here when this is over. A lot of these businesses aren't going to be able to survive this, if it, especially if it lasts another month or two. So um, just really looking out for your small businesses, checking in with them. A lot of their accounts are run by the people who own them, um, own the restaurants or what have it, checking in, seeing um, what they can need, if you can spread the word, you know, to help them get more business and things like that, because we all really do have to like look out for each other as a community right now. 100%. And one of my mentors also let me know about um, if you are a small business owner listening to this, um, which can mean 500 employees or less, or if you are a sole proprietor or an independent contractor who freelances, you can look at sba.gov. S as in Sam, B as in boy, A as in apple, dot gov. And you can 
apply for loan advancements or loans up to $10,000. And so if you know anybody who's really struggling, or if you are even just someone who has been hit as like a really small independent contractor or business owner, like I consider myself, I went ahead and applied for it. And, you know, I started a business last year, like pretty much last year. So like I barely made any money. I've invested more money than I've made. But, you know, every little helps. You could get a couple hundred dollars even. So look into your resources for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a great resource. It's actually the banner of Instagram right now. So if you're um, on Instagram, this will be up probably in the next couple of days. So if you're on Instagram, it's the top banner. It'll take you directly to the website. So um, the government is trying to provide some resources. Perfect. We'll yeah. see exactly what they end up um what what the future looks like it's going to be very interesting to see what our future looks like but these are just some first steps that you can kind of get ahead try to get ahead of things for sure and if you're not already please stay home as much as you can stay home i've went to the groceries i've went to the pharmacy once because i had to pick up a prescription which was essential and um i've done one grocery pickup and they were following social distancing they asked you to open your trunk and not to get out of your car while they loaded groceries and then we wiped everything down before we brought it into the house um and we it you know, it takes us a good three weeks to go through what we order before we need to go to the store again. And um, now with people, with the CDC, you know, recommending for us to cover our faces, um, I was able to find face masks on Nextdoor. So if you're not part of the Nextdoor app, it's been really nice to see my local um, neighborhood come together to help people that are out of toilet paper to arrange like little porch pickups for people. Someone made us free face masks. Um, we went and picked them up from her porch too. So check out the next door app you um, might find. I feel like we all live next to these people and we don't know them at all. So it's been really nice to get to kind of know my actual neighbors too. So that is awesome. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. Like I've, <laughs> I've heard of that, like maybe even from the vegan chub club podcast before but i i feel like i've heard of it and i haven't looked at it yet that's awesome yeah and it just gives you people within like a three mile radius of your house and everyone's really been looking out for each other like people have been like oh i need such such and such and then another person will pipe in and say i went to target at 8 a.m they had everything i needed they were following social distancing we were in and out like people have been really communicating so that people don't have to run to multiple stores and kind of reduce their exposure as much as possible so it's been really cool to see a community that's really separate typically because we're all on our phones we're all at work be able to come together through a social media for neighbors <laughs> yeah I love that yeah well I think that's an episode y'all it's this will be a nice long one for you, and I know you'll, I hope you'll enjoy it. But thank you for hanging out with Miranda and I today. I'll be stepping back just a little bit from Chub Club, but you'll still get to see me from time to time. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to jump on here with you. I'm excited to reach out to some other people as well in the community to, yeah, talk with some more and. Everybody stay safe and stay happy. Stay safe, stay happy, stay home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye-bye. 
The conversation doesn't have to end here, my chubby friends. Follow us at The Vegan Chub Club on Instagram. Follow Miranda at Uprooted Foodie and Eden at Eden Loves Life. We'll chat with you soon. Bye-bye.